Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is David Wise, but we'll be airing a message from Joe Nettles for you in just a minute. If you happen to be in the North Mississippi area, we'd invite you to come worship with us here at Sulphur Springs Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, or come see us at Macedonia in Ackerman, Mississippi, or on Wednesday nights in Starville, Mississippi at 6 p.m. Go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, where you can get past messages and subscribe to our podcast through multiple different platforms. This morning, we'll be airing a message from Joe Nettles about the examples of the new birth in the Old Testament. So we'll go ahead and begin that message for you right now and pray the Lord will bless you in the preaching of his word this morning. God bless you. In John 5 and 25, the words of Jesus Christ, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Now that's referring to the new birth. The voice of the Son of God coming into one who's dead, making them alive. Now as I've told you before, we know he's not talking about the bodily resurrection because he deals with that a few verses later in verse 28. He's not talking about a bodily resurrection. He's talking about spiritual resurrection. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins being made alive effectually and immediately by the word of God the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've told you before, I can preach to you in my voice. I can sing to you in my voice. I can pray over you and for you in my voice, but it will always be my voice, okay? I tell you about Jesus, but Jesus tells you Jesus. Jesus conveys himself as the word into your heart and quickens you. That's what makes the difference. And that's what must be for someone to live in glory. Now, why do I use this to teach about that New Testament covenant spoken of in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Jeremiah chapter 31? Because unfortunately, many people go to the passage of Scripture and they try to make it mean that it is that the new birth only began in New Testament times. That it wasn't until Acts chapter 2 and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, and to manifest means to make very evident... Uh, They'll tell you that it wasn't until that event at Acts chapter 2, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, that people began to be born again. And that's just not so. That's absolutely not so. And if we assume that, then the Bible will be confusion to us. If we assume that, then it inevitably will lead us to errant interpretations of many passages of Scripture. Notice what Jesus said of the new birth here. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming. He said, this is something that's going to be coming, but yet it's not just something in the future. He's not just saying this is something that's going to begin in Acts chapter 2. No, he says, and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So he said, in effect, this is not only something that's going to continue happening from this point on, but it's also happening now. And I think we can easily assume and infer he's talking about it's been happening. 
Now, you may say, well, Brother Joe, that's a pretty big inference. Well, we hope to be able to prove it by Scripture. That people did not begin being born again in Acts chapter 2 in the manifestation of the Holy Ghost at the Feast of Pentecost. But no, anyone who's ever lived in heaven must needs have been born again of the Spirit of God. And Christ told Nicodemus that in John chapter 3. You know, and I'm summarizing when he told him, you can't see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven except ye be born again. And many people will say, well, that means I need to go out and get born again then. No, if you look at that verb tense in the Greek, it is referring to something being done for you and in you, okay? So, knowing that you must be born again to live in the kingdom of heaven, you can't enter in. That was the, in the very first at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, he wanted us to understand that. Okay, that's one of the first great exchanges he had recorded in the book of John was with Nicodemus. Uh, that, is, uh, that is not accidental. That is on purpose of the Holy Spirit of God to let us know something we need to know at the very outset for us to understand the power and the import of the New Testament gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is, ye must be born again. And ye must not assume that that's beginning to happen but it's been going on. Think about it. When Jesus spoke these words, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Notice at this point, Jesus had not been crucified yet. He had not been placed in a barred tomb and he had not been resurrected. Okay? There was a lot missing from people's knowledge for you to be saying that the word, the testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ was what was getting this done. There's way too much missing for that to have been the case when he spoke this in the very early outset of his ministry in John 5 and 25. No, he said this has been going on and it's going to continue going on because it is included uh, as a provision in the covenant of grace that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit covenanted in before the world began. Again, reams of passages, of, uh, reams of sermons could be preached upon that. But that new birth is included in that. So everyone who lives in heaven, everyone who is covenantly bound to Jesus Christ before the world began, everyone for whom he represented when he died upon the tree of the cross will live in heaven. But something has to take place. They have to be born again. Okay? Now let's look at this, if you will. I want to look, go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to look and see what the Holy Spirit enables men to do, to see, and to experience. Now, if we find from the Word of God that the Holy Spirit working in and changing the child of God, okay, reveals these things, performs these things, and then we see these exact same things taking place in Old Testament characters, then we should understand that the Holy Spirit was not just active now, but the Holy Spirit was also active then, and we know the Holy Spirit was active. The Spirit of God is mentioned so many times in the Old Testament. But someone will say, well, the Holy Spirit was only active then in revealing prophecy. In uh, executing the providence of God just in a, a provisionary way for His children. I'll tell you, that is so to an extent. But to say that there was no new birth, no changing of the soul and spirit substance going on back then... I'm sorry, cannot be defended. All right, there are multiple times, granted, when the Holy Spirit moved. The Holy Spirit, I believe it was, the power of God that caused a man's voice to emit from the mouth of an ass in the days of Balaam. 
And the Holy Spirit is the one that could come down on one and make them prophesy that had not prophesied before. And in those passages of Scripture, I do not pretend that those are teaching you that that's when those people were born again. No, but that was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. So yes, I do own that that is a fact. That sometimes, when we, most of the times when we see the Spirit referred to in the Old Testament, that it is talking about the power of the Spirit being manifested among men. But my friends, we want to look at how it was manifested and worked its power in the hearts of men, in their souls and spirit. So to do that, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we want to see what necessarily the Holy Spirit must do for men for them to be able to do what they do in the spiritual kingdom of Christ. We've heard 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Notice he said, I hath not seen. But there are many eyes who saw the risen Christ, who saw the glorified Christ, who saw wonderful, miraculous things. He's not talking about just a spiritual vision and sense. He's talking about your natural eye. Your natural ears have never heard. Okay, your natural, unborn again heart. Nothing of the Spirit of God has ever been able to invade and to enter in. Why? Because it had not been changed. You are still in your natural state, the way in which you were born into this world. So he said, I hath not seen, neither have ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Okay? Why do you love him? Because he's implanted himself in you. Because 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4 tells us very plainly that not only is God love, but everyone that loveth knoweth God and is born of God. Okay? So we know how love comes about. All right, we're told that in no uncertain terms. So here he said, if anyone loves God, how do, they, how do they appreciate that? How do they know that? How do they sense that? God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things. It invadeth all things. There's no part of you that's too deep for the Holy Spirit of God to enter into. Okay? Uh, you, your, your ignorances, your darknesses, even your stubbornnesses, if God so chooses in the Holy Spirit of God, He will subdue them. He will overcome them. Okay? The devices of the wicked are as naught before God. All right? So He says, For what man knoweth the things of a man? Here He's just bringing it down to a natural level. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Okay, that means why can a man do the things a man does? Why can a man identify with the things men know? That's because he has a spirit within him that is a natural spirit. Okay, he is made after the image of God. And even though in his natural state he's fallen and he's a marred image of God, yet he has a spirit within him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And that you do no damage to the Scripture by saying, but by the Spirit of God. So here he's saying, if any man knows the things of the Spirit of God, then the Spirit must have revealed this unto them. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
He's talking to the church here. Why do you know these things? Not because you've received the spirit of the world. Again, natural eye can't see it. Natural ear can't hear it. Natural heart can't feel it. He said, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, what are some of those things that the Holy Spirit has revealed unto us? What are the things that the Lord hath prepared for them that love Him? Okay? Well, go with me to Psalm 17. We're going to look at one of those things in Psalm 17. I'm going to turn to quite a few little places today. You can take your notes. You can turn with me. But I'm going to try to give you adequate time to turn if you so desire. Over in Psalms chapter 17. Now this is written, Old Testament, by King and Prophet David, all right? The Psalmist David wrote this in Psalm 17, uh, verse 13. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. What's he saying? Did he make the wicked wicked? No. When he says, which is thy sword, means that when God so chooses... He can suffer the wickednesses of men to unfold, okay, for the temptation and the trying and the subjugating of his rebellious people. We saw that in suffering the Assyrians to take over the Israelites. Uh, we saw that, my friends, and uh, the Israelites being in Egyptian bondage. We saw that when God suffered the Babylonians to come in. Even though they were wicked, heathen societies, God suffered them to come in and touch his people, not just to be mean to them, but for the purpose of subjugating them, of subduing them, of humbling them, of convicting and breaking them, and teaching them and molding them. Okay? So again, I chased a rabbit on that. Let's get back to this. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life. All right? Whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasures. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. He said the wicked, the only things they're ever going to be able to enjoy are in this life. Because I guarantee you in the next life, there's not an ounce or whisper of a wisp of enjoyment they'll ever be able to experience. But he says in verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. What is it this Old Testament character knew? Had he, was he receiving any glimpse of the things which God hath prepared for them that love him? Well, here David is pointing to heaven, and David is pointing to being conformed to the image of God. Not only is he saying, look, the wicked are going to have all of their well-being in this life, but I've got another life coming. Obviously, that's what's being taught. When I awake, that means when, after I die, uh, when my experience awakes in yonder realm... That's when I will awake with thy likeness and I will be satisfied. Oh, see, David in the Old Testament knew about uh, aboding with God in the afterlife. And he also made reference to being conformed to the image of Jesus. The very 
preaching of the resurrection, when we're made and fashioned after the image of his own precious, glorious likeness, David hungered for that, longed for that, and had some measure of confidence in that, even in the Old Testament writing by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. How could he have experienced that? According to our New Testament revelation, it was only but through the birth of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had to reveal these things unto us. Because again, when we're in that nature of the natural eye and the ear and the hard heart, we can't understand them. So obviously, that work of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about one who's been changed from one nature to another. The new birth. Okay? So David had knowledge of these things. Go with me to Job a little just before Psalm. We're going to go to Job chapter 9. Then we're going to go forward a little bit in Job chapter 19. Notice in Job chapter 9. Now, the book of Job, according to Bible historians, and I have no reason to doubt it, is the very first book that was actually written and recorded for posterity. Not just verbal uh, tradition passed down from one Jewish generation, from one Hebrew generation to another. But this one, though it was part of the verbal tradition, okay, as we received our scriptures, this one actually came a time when this one was written down. And they think that this was the first one that was actually written and recorded for posterity. But notice in Job chapter 9, verse 1, Then Job answered and said, So this is before any written scripture, any recorded scripture. Certainly no New Testament gospel sermon has ever been preached. And Jesus Christ is still thousands of years, uh, over a thousand years from making his advent into this world. So keep that in mind. Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. Sounds like he was convinced, right? Sounds like he was driven, he was constrained to believe something. I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? He says, I know it's so of a truth. I know, I know that I have a God, and I know that I belong to Him, and I know that I long to please Him and to live in His righteousness, and I know that can only be because He has made me just before Himself. He said, but I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I know it is so of a truth. But how should it be so that man should be made just with God? What is one of those, what are, here is another one of those things that have been, you know, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither been in the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Here in the Old Testament, over a thousand years, I would venture to say, before Jesus made his advent into this world, Job was convinced that not only will I be made just with God, I know he has a way to get it done. Now how did he know that? How could he have known that? With the natural eye and the natural ear and the natural heart. He couldn't, and you can't either. He had to have been born again of the Spirit of God. Okay? Now, Job 19. Go with me to Job 19. A few chapters over. Alright? Let's look at another one. In Job chapter 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written. This is Job 19, 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led, that means engraven, in the rock forever. What are these words that are so moving, so true, that Job, even in his distress, would cry out and say, Oh, I wish these words were recorded. Guess what, Job? God did so. They've been recorded for us even unto this day. 
What is it that moved this man so greatly in the midst of his agony that he cried out this desire before God? He said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job had a knowledge that he had to be redeemed and that he had a redeemer. Job had a knowledge that his redeemer wasn't living then, but that his redeemer would not come and just fly around in the air, but would actually set foot upon the earth. Job somehow had a knowledge that he was going to be resurrected from the grave. That he, it was going to be his body resurrected from the grave. You know, some people are, are, have fallen into the error of believing in a, a spiritual body resurrection. Now, I know this body is sown naturally. It will be raised spiritually. But again, it's going to be this same body, you understand. Uh, many people get off on that today. I mean, they're in error on that today. They think that what comes out of the grave is a completely different creation. That your dust is still going to lie there, but God is going to make a semblance of you rise up. A completely different entity, a, a, a spirit body, and that's going to live with Him in heaven. No, my friends, it's this body. God's going to change your body. He's not going to exchange your body, okay? He's going to change your body. Job said, I know it's so that I'm going to be changed. And here he said, it's going to be this body. How is it that Job knew about being redeemed? That his Redeemer lives already, but yet his Redeemer shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. That means I know he lives now. But there's coming a time when he's going to live down here. How did Job know that? It certainly wasn't the natural eye, the natural ear and natural heart that could have revealed that to him, right? Because not only was he just, he wasn't just speaking as a robot, as an automaton, just as a puppet, that the Holy Spirit came, made him speak these words, and then left him in his fallen, wicked, God-hating, natural state. No, that wasn't his state. His state had been changed, okay? So this is by the Spirit of God. Go with me to Isaiah, well, I'm not going to go there because I've read it for you many times. You go to Isaiah chapter 53. Now, Isaiah chapter 53, you remember when Philip was led by the Spirit of God to this, this Ethiopian eunuch. And there, as this Ethiopian eunuch was there in a chariot, okay, Philip heard him reading something. And apparently this man desperately wanted to understand it. He had a hunger to understand it. Because he was reading it so that someone else could hear. And Philip said, understandest thou what thou readest? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? Show me these things. You see, this was not a man who was just reading a good housekeeping article. This man was reading something that he knew had a great import in his life. That this pertained somehow to him. That it was vital for him to know what was going on in Isaiah chapter 53. So my friends, this man who was in abject gospel ignorance, he wasn't in abject ignorance.
because he had some knowledge of God. He had a hunger. He had a thirst for the knowledge of God. And I'm here to tell you the natural man doesn't have that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So here this man in an Old Testament sense, we know that he had been born again and that he was desiring. Let me tell you something. Notice one thing that Philip didn't tell him. Well, first thing you need to do is get born again. Philip didn't tell him that. Philip already understood that for this man to have that hunger and that zeal for that word, that man has the Spirit of God already in him. He's born already. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we read an account. Now somebody may say, well, Brother Joe, you're trying to prove us about the Old Testament characters, how they had been being born again. All the family of God in the Old Testament had to be born again, the Holy Spirit of God. But yet you're going to a New Testament epistle. That's right, I'm going to a New Testament epistle that is inspired perfectly and infallibly by the Holy Spirit of God telling you about the state of some Old Testament characters. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 1. We go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading with verse uh, 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Now you must ask, what salvation is under consideration? Well, he tells you in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. He said this is a faith salvation. Okay? And why do we know this is not that faith salvation points to eternal life, but isn't actually the obtaining of the eternal life. Because he said these Old Testament saints he's about to talk to didn't have this salvation, okay? What they didn't have, we do have. Well, do we have record of Old Testament saints being in heaven? Amen, we do. We know they have eternal life. Then it's not talking about eternal life. It's talking about the comfort and special assurance of that eternal life. Old Testament saints didn't have it. He said, we do today. That's a salvation, a temporal salvation that we enjoy here, but does not carry us to glory, but we have it to enjoy in the kingdom while we live here on the earth. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Are they, is this just a robotic rote process here? No, they are inquiring. They are searching diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you? New Testament kings and priests today, listen to me. You have been given the greatest treasure the world, the universe has or ever have, will have seen. And that is the news, the good news, the assurance and comfort that God is your God and Jesus died for you. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall this grace begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. 
to find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.